Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore, CWT, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And Nation, happy Industrial Water Week. Yes, this is the fifth time we have celebrated Industrial Water Week. If this is your first time celebrating Industrial Water Week, this is an entire week where we all get to celebrate together this amazing profession that we are in. Industrial water, one of the most noble professions out there. Of course, my favorite profession out there. And all of you listening get to celebrate along with me. We call ourselves the Scaling Up Nation, and we are celebrating this great industry. So year five of industrial Water Week. So amazing to think that it's the fifth year because the podcast started during the first year we were celebrating Industrial Water Week. In fact, James McDonald, who was the founder of Industrial Water Week, he was very instrumental in my conversations with people on did we want to do an industry-related podcast? Would anybody listen to this podcast? And James was one of the people that convinced me that, yes, this industry needs a podcast. And I'm sure glad he did, because now we're close to 20,000 members strong in the Scaling Up Nation. And it is just so humbling to think about that when all I'm doing is recording my voice here in my studio in Atlanta, Georgia. And by the way, if you ever need motivation on when you do something, you're not very good at it, but if you stick to it, you will learn, you will get experience, you will find people that will help make you better, please listen to episode one of Scaling Up H2O. I had no clue what I was doing, but I had a desire to do it. And so many people were willing to raise me up to share with me how I could get better at hosting a podcast, whether that was how to interview, how to breathe properly, how to enunciate properly. Yes, I do have a speaking coach that I work with or how I get the right kind of equipment and how to set it up. So many people have poured into me so I could make this podcast better. And every time Industrial Water Week comes around, I just think about all of that because those are people that are in our industry. A lot of people heard things and they would write to me and say, Trace, I noticed that there was this in one of your episodes. You might want to try doing your future episodes this way. So we are the Scaling Up Nation. This is our podcast, and this is our week, year five of celebrating Industrial Water Week. Now, every year, my staff gets together, and we try to come up with a way that we can celebrate. Now, personally, I like to do something with my company. We share success stories around the various theme days and who's got the funniest story, who's got maybe a sales story around it. 
And then we like to do a cake. So on Friday, we'll have some type of water-themed cake. If you go back to previous years, I've actually given some recipes out. One year, I talked about George Washington's favorite cake, which was called a water cake. The main ingredient in it was water. That recipe was built for when perishable items really weren't available. I heard people loved it. I heard people said they used it as a doorstop. So feel free to go back to previous Industrial Water Week episodes for that recipe. And I'm thinking Rising Tide Mastermind. We always do something to celebrate the Industrial Water Week. And one of the things that we do is just make sure that we're reminding each other to celebrate it within our companies. We're all industrial water treaters. We all touch that industry. And it's a really simple way for you to connect with people in your company just to celebrate what it is that you do day to day. Then we also get together with the Scaling Up H2O staff, and we try to think of what do we normally do to celebrate Industrial Water Week, and what are some new things that we can do? Because after all, this is Scaling Up H2O's flagship holiday because it's all about us. It's all about industrial water treatment. So there's several normal things that we do each year. And of course, the bottom line thing you have to do during Industrial Water Week is you have to take pictures and share stories and you will hashtag those to IWW22 and Scaling Up H2O. We do that each and every year, and we ask that during the theme of the day, for example, today is pre-treatment, you will take a picture of something that is in the pre-treatment industry and share a little story with that and hashtag it to IWW22 and scaling up H2O. That allows us to see each other and realize that we are not alone. We're part of a community and we are in this together. An example is today, I'm going to take a picture of a little DI unit, a little deionized water unit that we have in the back of our warehouse that we use for blending. And I don't think that guy gets enough press. So I'm going to highlight him and share how important that little device is when we are blending some of our more delicate products. By the way, if you refer to water treatment equipment with pronouns, you might be a water treater. Do you guys remember that skit? That was something that Jeff Foxworthy used to do. Jeff Foxworthy is an Atlanta native. He's a neighbor, and he used to do a series called You Might Be a Redneck If. I mean, after all, we live in Georgia, so you got to talk about it. So I always have a running list of these. So you might be a water treater if you find pillow packets in your dryer lint tray. You might be a water treater if you determine your best pair of pants by assessing which one has the least bleach stains or caustic holes in them. You might be a water treater if you triple rinse your water glasses before setting the dinner table. And you might be a water treater if you can spot cooling tower plumes everywhere you go 
especially on vacation. And then finally, you might be a water treater if you cannot get through the week without listening to a new episode of Scaling Up H2O. Anyway, total segue. Let me get back to what we were talking about before. This year, as every year, we're going to bring you a brand new episode each and every day during this industrial water week. So, and if you're wondering, Monday today is pre-treatment Monday. Tomorrow, boiler Tuesday. Wednesday is cooling. Thursday, we're celebrating wastewater. And then Friday, we will close out Industrial Water Week with Careers Friday. So I hope you help me celebrate each and every day by hashtagging pictures of those themes and sharing your stories to IWW22 and Scaling Up H2O. Now, what we're doing special this year, because we always do something a little bit different each and every Industrial Water Week celebration, our team decided that we are going to have short interviews within each episode this week about what that particular day is themed. And those short interviews are meant for you to share with anybody you want to learn more about that day's topic. Little, small, shareable interviews within these episodes. And who would you share them with? Well, who do you want to learn more about a particular topic? Maybe it's a potential or new employee. Maybe it's your roommate. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your kids. You get to figure out that part. So I hope you enjoy that segment each and every day this week. Now here to light the Industrial Water Week torch for 2022, here's James McDonald. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. Happy Industrial Water Week. As we celebrate Pre-Treatment Monday, I'm reminded of a time when I was a corporate engineer traveling with one of our field reps. At one account, the operator was scratching his head over high connectivity in his boilers. It had increased to 9,800 microsiemens, which was many times higher than it should have been, despite the higher-than-normal blowdown. We followed the flow of water upstream to see what might be causing this. Our next stop was the RO tank, which was actually a combination of RO permeate and polished condensate. Checking the RL permeate showed it was probably not the problem. The operator reported that condensate polisher number one had just come online that morning. We checked its output, and it appeared to be fine as well, but I asked the operator to put this unit into regeneration again. Then I stood, watched, and listened. I observed as number two unit came online and number one went offline. I saw the backwash cycle followed by the brine draw cycle. All looked good. Then came the slow rinse cycle, and nothing happened. By nothing, I mean no flow was going to the drain at all. Once the time was up, the fast rinse cycle started and flow to the drain recommenced. Measuring the conductivity at the end of the slow rinse revealed 1,800 microsiemens. We had found our culprit in the source of the high conductivity. The slow rinse valve was not working properly, 
and the brine was not being thoroughly rinsed out of the unit. When condensate polisher number one would come back online, a slug of high conductivity water would be sent to the boilers. The operator rebuilt the valve and the problem was solved. I like this story because it reminds me not only of the importance of knowing the process flow of a water system, but also the importance of knowing when to just stand and observe at the right place at the right time. I hope you enjoyed today's story on water and equally hope you will share one of your own on social media to help celebrate Pre-Treatment Monday of Industrial Water Week. Don't forget to tag them with hashtag IWW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. I love that story because it proves you diagnose before you prescribe. It also highlights that observations are a lot more important than running things out of your test kit. So many times we get tunnel vision to our test kit. And yes, that is a very important tool, but to just stand back and think about what's going on and what you know, you will be amazed at what comes to you. So maybe that story has inspired you to hashtag a story and a picture to Scaling Up H2O and IWW22. I sure hope you help us celebrate by sharing all your stories during Industrial Water Week because after all, it reminds us all about how many strong we are. It reminds us how we are not alone. It reminds us that we have a community It reminds us that we are the Scaling Up Nation. Now let's talk a little about pre-treatment. My lab partner on this pre-treatment Monday is Simra Gould. Simra, how are you celebrating Industrial Water Week so far? So far, so good. I actually know the uh, Industrial Week through uh, James, James McDonald's. And I try to follow him publishing some uh, stories or the pictures about the industrial water weeks every day. That's a great way to celebrate Industrial Water Week. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Today, where it's all about pre-treatment. So we're going to be talking about pre-treatment. And I thought just to continue the conversation or start the conversation so everybody can join in, how would you define what pre-treatment is? Pre-treatment is, we can, we can describe it like any chemical, physical, or mechanical treatment before main water treatment. And I'm happy to be here because I'm also chair in the pre-treatment committee. I would love to uh, also encourage people to our committee. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a second. So you're referring to the Association of Water Technologies Pre-Treatment Committee, what does that committee do? As a pre-treatment committee, we try to contribute water treatment uh, market. We try to help water treater, especially in the water uh, pre-treatment area. So right now we are working on softener project. We try to make uh, short videos directly addressed for the troubleshooting to help for the, especially for new engineers, new water treaters. What pre-treatment committee do? 
we try to create documentation for pretreatment, uh, including everything, equipment or chemical or mechanical treatment. We haven't published yet, but we just finished our DA Rater uh, Excel file, and it's going to be published very soon, I, I think. And we have been working on the project like softener, reverse osmosis, including uh, troubleshooting, any kind of things make uh, new help for the new engineer and help for the voter to, to make their job easier. So Simra, people listening today, maybe they've got a water softener on their boiler. Maybe they don't. Why would somebody need pretreatment? That's a great question. Water treatment starts for the makeup water. The better makeup water you have, you might have more efficient water in your system, more efficient in your system. Luckily, in U.S., we have great water, but in whatever system you have, uh, you need to save from corrosion, you need to save from microbiologic uh, stuff, and for this one, you are doing water treatment. But if you have pre-treatment, you are going to save more energy, you are going to use less chemical, because you have already have good water. As a result, for example, if it is boiler or cooling tower, you are going to less bleed, you are going to save more water. So the better pre-treatment you have, uh, it's going to increase completely your systems uh, dramatically. It's going to help a lot for your systems. Samra, I'm curious. You're originally from Turkey. How is pretreatment different from over there versus the United States? First of all, our, we have water shortage then, and we have to reuse every water. The water is like a gold for us. It is super important. It's in here, uh, our water quality is much, 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 much better. Uh, I can tell we don't have any systems without pretreatment. Pretreatment is like a part of water treatment, but it is uh, inevitable. You cannot, because, uh, for example, I used to live in a peninsula and we had huge water shortage there. We have to use reverse osmosis uh, to almost every hotel has reverse osmosis because we don't even have enough water for our facility. So we have to create domestic water. For this one, we use sea for it as a makeup water. Or in here, I uh, we talked before, when I first came to U.S., we made another postcard with you. I told you conductivity was 100, around 100 in New York. And for me, for my country, this is reverse osmosis water. This is literally, we have huge problem. And on all middle of the season, you can see shortage of the water. You can't even supply water for the systems, for the, any, any facility. Or you can even see some, some touristic places in the middle of the su uh, summer. You can see colorful swimming pools because of the chemical reaction. It is much, much, much worse water quality than here. As a result, we cannot even imagine to put any system without pre-treatment. This is not even, uh, you can't even think about it. You know, it's a double-edged sword for the people that live in the United States. We are blessed with clean, readily available water, but because of that, we don't take care of it the way that we should. So just by applying pre-treatment, we can be better stewards 
of this most valuable resource. So let's face it, if we don't have water, nothing else matters that we do in life. So I'm curious, maybe we have a customer that we want them to pre-treat their water. We know they can use less products. We know that they'll bleed less. We know that there is an environmental reason to do this. There's a cost reason to do this. But for some reason, they are just not giving us that purchase order. What would you suggest that we say to that customer? First of all, uh, we have to explain them how reuse is important. And uh, the main problem here, as you said, uh, U.S. is a blessed country. We have amazing nature here. We have uh, amazing sources here, water sources here. And the other thing, systems are much, much, much bigger. And my observation, energy saving, not the priority here. This is main problem. If I have a customer doesn't want to do pre-treatment, I will definitely go for the energy saving part. Because energy, when you, if you have the great water sources, you have to have pre-treatment. If you have pre-treatment, you can save energy and energy equal money. And when I first came to U.S., I was doing research about the water treatment and I was shocked. In here, we are losing over a billion dollars just because of the, you know, right, uh, not using water treatment or not doing uh, pre-treatment, not on pre-treatment, literally corrosion scale and energy savings, energy cost here over billion dollars. I would first explain my customer how much money I can even calculate certain uh, stuff and I can show how much money he is going to save. And I think uh, all our customers, when they heard the word money, they can interest what we are there after this. Decade. And we can even say, you know, small amount of scale, how much electric costs for them, how much gas costs for them. If we explain this, I think it is much easier. Or, you know, using just, just filtration, just using basic filtration, how much they can cycle up. If we connect with this as a money, it is much easier to them to understand, I think. I believe like that. So in order to get somebody to be green, you've got to talk about them spending less green. Actually not, because to be green, you need to, uh, in order to reduce your chemical, uh, reduce your chemical to be much more green, you have to do that in mechanically. And even for that, you need something pre-treatment from mechanically. You know, instead of you using chemical, you can use some mechanic way you, to reduce it and you can be more green. To, not to be green, maybe, but more green. Samra, where do you see the future of pretreatment going? I think it is going to be more and more critical. Unfortunately, human beings, we are not uh, responsible uh, enough to our water sources, our globe, our bird, our environmental. Our water sources is not getting better, any better. Actually, they are getting worse and worse. The increasing population, global warming and uh, pollution. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we are sources it's getting worse and worse. As a result of things, I think uh, pre-treatment is going to be extremely critical here. Uh, not only here, I mean all around the world. Actually, rest of the world, it is also it is already so critical. 
it is already so critical because you have to save energy, you have to save water, you have to do some conservation of water more carefully. As a result, uh, reusing pretreatment, it's gets it's gonna get so critical. I think I can tell this, and I can also think. Uh, not only um, you know treatment part, but also mechanically it's gonna change. I believe from pre-treatment part also gonna change to equipment part. We are gonna use more mechanical treatment instead of chem- chemical part. And I say again, I think uh, pre-treatment going to be extremely critical in water treatment area. Summer, for people that are trying to bolster their education on pretreatment, what are your favorite resources? Of course, the best sources is AWT. It starts with the AWT. IAWT have amazing sources on our webpage, and we also have handbooks for that. And I encourage people to check for that one. And besides handbooks, are subcommittees, not only pretreatment, all of them. Uh, we are trying to do our best to, you know, contribute to uh, water treatment. And they can be amazing sources. Besides these companies like us, we all have our trainings. Like right now, we even have YouTube videos for informative videos. And we are publishing so much informative in our webpage. And I think we are getting more and more responsible about this. And we all, as a water treater companies, we are getting better for that. And we all can be good sources for the uh, new engineers. Well, Samara, I want to thank you for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast and helping us celebrate Pre-Treatment Monday. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here with you. Thank you. Scaling Up Nation, Simra's love for the water treatment industry is infectious. This is something I noticed about her the very second we met. She is one of the best cheerleaders we have in our industry. And you can just hear how much she loves our industry in her voice. We're going to have a longer interview with Simra coming up in November. So be sure to listen to that when it releases. Have you ever thought back about what you know now, but you didn't necessarily know it when you first started out in the industry? I do that all the time. In fact, that's how I figure out how I'm going to teach a particular topic. I think about what mindset I was in when I first learned about that topic. A few weeks ago on episode 268, I interviewed Jeff Garrett of Garrett Callahan. After we finished recording that interview, I asked Jeff this very question. I'm Jeff Garrett and I'm with Garrett Callahan Company. I'm the president. And one of the things that happened to be right when I started and right when I had taken over some accounts, when my dad got me in there, he said, uh, you're going to take over all these accounts. I was kind of a service tech. And so I went to Dixie Packaging and and the solenoid wasn't working well, and it was uh, there was a chiller down in the bottom of the basement. So I went down there, and I tried to turn the thing off, turn the valve off, so I could take the solenoid apart and clean it out, because it wasn't working. The whole thing fell off, and it was right at the edge of the exit of the chiller. 
So the water's blasting out of there at probably, you know, 100 PSI or something. I don't know what it is. And of course, I can't get that thing back on because the little nipple had rotted. So I'm running upstairs and I'm going to get the guy that, you know, the old guy that's there and he's just laughing at me and there's water everywhere all over, but it's going, going down the drain. I realized then you can't fix everything. You've got to work with the people that are there. You know, they, they know what's there. They know that there's, there's probably some issues. And those are the things that you learn, but only learn through experience. And sometimes you have to have other people get involved or otherwise it's going to take, this took me the rest of the day to clean this up. And, you know, then I felt terrible about it. And and then they made a joke about it for years and years after I came. So it all worked out, but I did learn a lesson. Don't mess with things without their knowledge and get in people involved. Well, Nation, there's no doubt about it. Murphy definitely lives big and strong in the water treatment industry. And in case you don't understand the reference, Murphy's Law states that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But as Jeff said, you learn from your experiences. And the next time you encounter the same situation, you'll handle it differently Better, in fact, because now you have experience to draw from. Chris Golden of Taylor Technologies always used to say, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. I love that phrase. Well, I don't think Jeff wanted to flood the mechanical room and get soaking wet, but he did get some valuable experience that he used throughout his career. Scout Up Nation, I sure hope you have enjoyed this kickoff episode for Industrial Water Week 2022 on this pre-treatment Monday. To end our episodes this week, we're going to play encore episodes of Detective H2O, everybody's favorite water treatment detective. Well, that's not exactly true. Well, the true part is Detective H2O is everybody's favorite water treatment detective, but we're not going to play Encore episodes each and every day this week. On Friday, we are releasing a brand new Detective H2O released for the first time ever here on Scaling Up H2O. And here's a spoiler alert. There is a special guest voice within that episode. Happy Industrial Water Week, Nation. I hope you have a great pre-treatment Monday. Remember to hashtag your picture and your story to IWW22 and Scaling Up H2O. Nation, here is the case of normalization. Welcome to Detective H2O. The Case of Normalization. Rain flooded off his black umbrella as Herbert Henry Oxidane, PICWT, stepped outside the six-story building where he rented office space. A few minutes before, the powerhouse chief operator, Howard Clyde Muriatic, had phoned. On the third ring, the water detective answered. Detective H2O here, the best water treater this side of the Ohio. 
solving water problems drop by drop. What you got? Detective H2O, we need your smarts over here at Aardvark Stamping Incorporated. This is Howard. We've got this reverse osmosis system. My crew records a lot of data on it. We just have no idea when to clean it. My guys are good with the books, see? Lots of practice from their extracurricular activities, if you know what I mean. We just don't know what to do with this RO data. When should we be cleaning the RO? We've been guessing, putting our fingers in the air, and just guessing. I've been meaning to come up to your neck of the woods for a while now, Howard. I'll start my old Ford and be over as fast as it can coast there. It's mostly downhill. Crack open the checkbook and save me some coffee. Dodging the raindrops, Detective H2O marched from the guard shack to the powerhouse at Aardvark Stamping Incorporated. Their three 100,000-pound-per-hour coal-fired water tube boilers lined the main aisle with the operator room on the far side. As he searched for Howard, the water detective took a moment to look through the logbook. Everything appeared to be in order with regular testing and no notable events with the water treatment equipment during the last few weeks. Detective H2O took a moment to chat with the on-floor operator he found sitting in front of the boilers with his feet propped up. Ox, it's been a while. How have you been? Oh, not bad, Barney. Not bad at all. Don't bother getting up. How about you and things around here? I'd complain, but nobody would listen. Things around here have been going fine. We finally rebuilt some of the valves on software number two a few months ago, but she'd been eating her tires kicked for an embarrassingly long time. Sounds good. Is Howard around? He called me about interpreting the RO data. Howard's around here somewhere. I'll call him on the radio and have him meet you at the RO. You'll find log sheets to the right of the units. Detective H2O made his way to the RO, observing the flow rates, pressures, connectivities, percent recovery, temperature, run times, etc. as he listened to the unit run. It was filling up the permeate storage tank, and at first glance, things looked good. The data on the log sheets only went back a month and didn't show anything obvious. A more thorough look at the data would tell the real story, though. Detective H2O, thanks for coming. As you can see, the RO's humming right along. And as you can see from that log sheet you're holding, my crew's good at keeping the books. We completely guess when to clean it, though. The permeate flow rate is relatively constant, but I know these things do file and need periodic cleaning. Is cleaning every three months really necessary, though? Or should we clean more or less frequently? I've got no idea. I see your problem, Howard. Reverse osmosis systems are a great technology. They can save a ton of money in boiler fuel cost and water cost. I've worked with them for years, but they can be counterintuitive when interpreting their data. Changes in pressure, temperature, dissolved solids, percent recoveries, and so forth can make just eyeballing the data impossible. They can work against each other to make what seems like a good trend into a hidden disaster. Do you have the rest of the data? We should go back several months to see what's been going on. I've got better than that, detective. I've been entering it into a spreadsheet. Grab that log sheet hanging there, and we'll put that data in too. When Howard fired up his computer and entered the most recent data, a clear story still did not show. Look at this, detective. The permeate flow rate has been steady for the past year. Very steady. I start getting nervous when it runs for too long between cleanings. We cleaned this unit last October, and then late February. But you wouldn't know it by looking at the permeate flow. No changes at all. 
Are the membranes not fouling? Should I stop cleaning? I wouldn't draw that conclusion yet. Let's see how variations in variables such as pressure and temperature affect the permeate flow. It's called normalization and allows you to do an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of the system. Would the membranes you have today perform as well under the same conditions as when they were installed? Normalization uses mathematical tricks to take the membranes back in time to answer exactly that question. We've been comparing apples and oranges up to this point. Let's dump your data into this normalization spreadsheet I developed based upon ASTM standards and advice from membrane manufacturers. Let's see if this data sings like a canary. Whipping out his hand-cranked laptop from his briefcase, Detective H2O transferred the RO data into his normalization worksheet, copied down his equations, and updated the graphs. Then he whistled. Look what we have here, Howard. Well, that's a horse of a different color, Detective. Looks like you've taken the blinders off. Yes. You see, as a membrane fouls, it takes more pressure to force the water through the membrane. Counterintuitively, as temperatures increase, water passes through the membrane more easily. These and other factors can make non-normalized data look just fine, but as you can see in this graph of normalized permeate flow, or NPF, it doesn't look fine at all. Look at these increases in October and late February. Those would be your cleanings. RO cleanings should be done based upon analysis of the data like we're doing here. Some rules of thumb of when to clean is when the normalized permeate flow decreases by 10 to 15 percent, normalized pressure drop increases by 15 percent, and or normalized salt passage increases 10 percent. Some membrane manufacturers may have slightly different recommendations, but these are a good place to start. Cleaning too frequently isn't necessarily good for the membranes, just like waiting too long can be bad for them as well. This is great, Detective H2O. How have we been doing then? It looks like you probably waited too long between cleanings when you did the October cleaning, but the membranes appear to have recovered well. Then, when you cleaned again in late February, you probably cleaned a little too early. It may have gone another month or so before the data would indicate the optimal time to clean. How about now? Is it time to clean now? Looking at this normalized data, I'd say things are actually holding steady. Barney said you fixed up software number two. Was that sometime around or after the last cleaning? You know, now that I think about it, yes, it was the beginning of March. That unit was prematurely hard for longer than I'm willing to admit. But should we clean the RO now? It's been over three months, going on four. Shouldn't we clean? I'd say no. Clean this RO based upon the normalized data. And the data says the RO is not fouled enough to clean. I'll leave you a copy of this normalization spreadsheet to keep logging your data into. You can email it to me periodically to take a glance over. We'll make the decision together. That makes me feel a lot better. The budget is tight around here at Aardvark Stamping Incorporated. The longer I can go without buying new membranes, the better. On the flip side, I don't want to spend more on labor and chemicals for RO cleaning than I have to either. This is a good plan, Detective H2O. I'm glad you're on my side. I'm always on the side of wise water decisions for both the customer and the industrial water equipment. Now, where's that coffee? In the underbelly and penthouses of the metropolis of Waterville, 
where the boilers percolate and cooling towers fog, there is one man who works tirelessly to end corrosion, stop scale, fight low-life microbes, and conserve water. That man is Detective H2O, best water treater this side of the Ohio, solving water problems drop by drop.